0: Hello, and welcome to Sky Today's Last Week in AI podcast, where you can hear AI researchers chat about what's going on with AI. As usual, in this episode, we'll provide summaries and discussion of last week's most interesting AI news. You can also check out our Last Week in AI newsletter at lastweekin.ai for articles we didn't cover in this episode.
1: I am one of your hosts, Dr. Sharon Joe. And I am your second host, soon-to-be doctor, hopefully, Andrey Kurenkov. And before we get going, we want to just shout out that this is the 100th edition of Last Week in AI. Uh, it's, we are here at 100, yeah. Yeah. very exciting, it's,
0: very exciting. If you look at the
1: podcast episode count, we are at something like 140 because uh, we used to do uh, other kinds of episodes, uh, like interviews and things. So we reached the 100th episode of a podcast a while back, but this is the 100th last week in AI edition of a podcast, so we've now covered 100 weeks of AI news over the last uh, two years and three months, we started this in March of 2020. So it's it's kind of crazy to think that we actually have continued to do this consistently for so long. I don't know if I would have predicted that.
0: I'm very proud of us <laughs> and actually very proud of you, listeners, because you are the reason why we keep making these, um, though I'll, I'll admit, it also is a ton of ton of fun uh, just to make them, and so glad that you can join us uh, in the fun and, and learning.
1: Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Every time we have our scheduled like time to record, I feel a little t- lazy <laughs> because we have to... <laughs> we're
0: definitely lazy, but you keep us unlazy. Yeah. we will get.
1: <laughs> yeah, but the fact that some people actually listen, those uh, makes, makes sense it makes it worthwhile. So thank you for listening. Yeah. And uh, yeah, let's just get into it. This week, we'll be talking about our usual mix of different types of news. First up, we'll talk about new applications, about detecting whether someone is depressed from their voice and AI for energy grids. Then we'll talk about some research about MRI scans and astronomy. We'll talk about uh, US uh, orders of robots surging as labor um as there are labor shortages and inflation and we'll also talk about a face search engine that anyone can use uh that is quite interesting so stick around for that and we'll end with some fun uh kind of uh you know pretty funny or and uh cool stuff with a ai music video and some deli generated corporate logos so lots uh of interesting stuff for this episode. Stick around.
0: All right. To start us off in applications and business, our first article is Depressed? This algorithm can tell the tone of your voice. Uh, so, depressed people often have a flat affect in their voice. And a startup called Kintsugi uh, wants to put technology to work on this problem. And, uh, you know, both co founders actually uh, experience bouts of depression, and they found it really difficult to find therapy, especially during the pandemic. And that led them as engineers to make a product for this, to address this problem. Um, so just a few stats. Uh, depression was actually already rampant before the pandemic. It got a lot worse during the pandemic. Um, but the WHO, WHO, um, World Health Organization, reports that 5% of adults worldwide suffer from clinical depression, and that's about 280 million people. Um, and it's the leading cause of disability in the world, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, the WHO reports that all forms of depression, be it mild, moderate, or severe, are treatable if they're detected. Um, and this is, you know, it's very tragic because. There are 700,000 people who do take their own lives each year as a result of depression, um, according to the WHO. And um, among those problems is lack of treatment uh, from trained professionals to help diagnose it. And so uh, Kintsugi, uh you know, they did uh, what I what I love of what they did is that they actually first interviewed around 200 psychologists, psychiatrists, and clinicians. And they learned that journaling was a good way for people to you know, sort out their feelings and, and think through things. And so the first thing they built was a voice journaling app for $20 or $19.99. Um, and uh, they were able to then access thousands of voice samples that they used to train their model on what a depressed voice actually sounds like. Uh, and if you're worried about privacy here, actually, they are not building uh, the, the product, the model on the content of what someone is journaling, but only just the tone and affect. Um, and so they're getting around and skirting around this privacy issue by not even looking at the content of what you're really saying. Um, and what's great about this method is that it's language agnostic. doesn't matter, you know, what people are really saying. It's just how they are speaking.
1: Yeah, no, it's a really interesting story. And um, I personally am quite interested at someone who deals with depression and has read a lot about it. And um, yeah, I also, after doing this, they're now, you know, actually have a startup and it looks like they're trying to get it approved with the US FDA. And then if it does get approved, it could be a clinical decision support tool that um, actually does not require FDA approval, but they're still uh, working on it, and they are building an API that connects into a cl- clinical notes section of a patient's electronic health record. And, um, yeah, so it looks like they are really taking this very seriously. And um, to me, it's, it is it is quite interesting to do this kind of idea because, uh, first of all, I, do, I have read that kind of uh, voice uh, can have indications of Depression in particular, people often have a criteria of, are you talking unusually slow? Uh, And I do think that kind of the early stage of just diagnosis and trying to figure out, am I depressed or is this just a kind of down period? It's kind of a tricky area and it is kind of a big burden to actually go and see a psychiatrist and see what they think. So having this kind of much, Easier tool that could be much more accessible seems like a, a super useful thing, and it looks like they just got uh, 20 uh, million uh, in their Series A uh, in terms of funding. So yeah, it's it's a really cool application of AI to mental health, and it's exciting to see them really making progress.
0: Honestly, just stepping back with this announcement and just many others, I, I feel how how much, how much progress we've made in terms of stigma to, you know, the stigma around mental health. Um, the fact that founders can say, Hey, I am, I have been depressed and therefore I want to start a company around depression is just, and and it was funded quite well, actually, like $8 million seed and 20 million in series a, like this is no longer, you know, something that you have to hide around um, and, and there's funding going into the space. It's seen as a big problem and it's seen as, you know, not only just like, oh, this is a problem that many people have, but a problem that you know, leaders have. A lot of people have, um, people of any rank do have. And um, so I, I think it's I think it's really great that uh, we've come this far. I think this article is a bit telling of that if we were to reflect about it.
1: Yeah. And I think it also just indicates a general trend. We've talked about AI for different mental health applications in the past in terms of chatbots. There's kind of therapy apps that uh, exist like Wobot. And I do think, um, you know, this is a case where it is such a big problem. So many people are looking to get therapy or looking to get uh, discussions with psychiatrists. And it is, not easy, I can tell you, having looked for therapists or a psychiatrist it's it's a whole nuisance with uh, insurance, and there's not a really good like single source to just like actually look for who's in your area it's It's a real um, big barrier to treating your own mental health. So having AI as a complementary factor uh, to that, I think is super exciting and it's it's really cool to learn about this uh, newish company doing this work
0: yeah definitely
1: and on to our next article in the application section we have an article from nvidia titled energy grids plug into ai for brighter cleaner future and so this is a bit of an overview article of the different ways in which ai can help with um kind of running the uh, energy grids of the US and, and other cities. It uh, has a couple of quotes from one person, Jeremy Ranshaw, who is a senior program manager at the Electric Power Research Institute. And um, it, it did it covers a lot of interesting things on how AI can be useful. For instance, it will play a crucial role possibly in maintaining the stability of an electric grid that's becoming much more complex with many numbers of low capacity, variable uh, generation sources like wind and solar. So as we get to more um, renewable energy, right, we'll have many more sources of uh, of electricity than just these power plants. And that actually is not simple, as you might expect. And there are grid operators uh, that need to take all of this into account to manage your whole grid. And as the system gets more complicated, it obviously will be much harder to keep track of. So AI can be used to help automate that to some extent and basically empower uh, grid operators to do that. And uh, this article also has some quotes from Rick Perez, who is a principal at Deloitte and has worked a lot with utilities and data analytics and likewise really comments on this notion of the grid being distributed and having thousands of intermittent power sources and that AI will essentially be uh, required to deal with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is super exciting. Uh, You know, one of the areas that, I thought was super interesting in the article that the article touched on uh, among many others is um, that there's already work underway at power plants and substations um, as well as on distribution lines and the fact that a lot of the largest utilities in the u.s are actually taking their first steps of you know the first steps. so that means a data engineering platform and also edge computing and thinking about that using real using um, real-time analysis and and sensor arrays this is really exciting. This means that um, there are places where this is useful. And one specific one was uh, using NVIDIA GPUs or uh, to, to do something much, much faster. So in less than 30 minutes, finding the best truck routes for responding to a storm. And before, that took 36 hours on a CPU. Uh, then that's way too long to be useful, um, right? Because there's a storm right now. We need it, we need it quickly. And so I I found that, you know, really compelling. And um, also, you know, it doesn't mean that they're using the top line AI or even arguably maybe even using AI, but they are just getting everything um, uh, prepared for AI. So all the data, of parts, um, getting the right devices there, you know, in terms of getting stuff on the edge. There's a lot of infrastructure that needs to be in place. Um, so.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and as you can imagine, um, you know, elect- electric grid is a pretty old thing. It's not easy to update its actual infrastructure. So it's going to take time. And it's cool to know that, you know, people are working on it and are getting ready for this future grid, where we'll have way more sources of electricity, like solar and wind. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty interesting overview article, it has some other details uh, in it. One thing I found interesting, like you said, uh, is the preparation thing. Uh, there's a database uh, of um, drones, images taken by drones of aging equipment, which is particularly relevant to California, where Aging equipment can and has caused really, really terrible uh, fires um, that you know actually killed people, and so that's just one example where drones could help with maintenance of equipment and avoid um, you know really disastrous consequences. So uh, yeah, uh, it's it's really cool to see that work is underway to leverage AI, and it looks like NVIDIA is part of this, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, but still, it's it's great to see that there, there are these efforts going on.
0: Oh, NVIDIA definitely wants GPUs everywhere, um, yeah. um, and it's exciting to see them um, kind of really push for that change as well, uh, With you know, with, with the AI people, so it's kind of cool to see that from, you know, the in- infrastructure perspective, um, from the compute perspective, and having that lead in some ways as well.
1: Yep. Yeah. If I have an example of Deloitte having this NVIDIA DGX A one hundred system, uh, which is a pretty nice uh, kind of mini supercomputer, you could say. Uh, DGXs are quite fun to use. I can tell you, it has a lot in there, and um, yeah, Deloitte has a center for AI uh, computing with these kinds of things, and. One example is them using it to uh, combine data and the state of the electric grid with local weather, and then deal with uh, repair crews. So, yeah, really, really cool uh, to hear about this application, which again I was not aware of, uh, or wasn't really aware of.
0: And on to our lightning round. Uh, our first article is Meet Codeball, a deep learning-based automated code reviewer that will help. Maintainers review GitHub pull requests. All right, we are getting there. This is almost to the future. So this is this article is about you know many GitHub code submissions require reviewers. So PRs will require reviewers, and um, uh, I've been a reviewer. Obviously, you you've been to um, to review code. You know, give some comments for modifications. Iterative process um, and. Reviewing code takes a huge amount of time and a huge amount of effort. Um, and codeball here is trying to fill that void. Um, so it uses metadata from over a million PRs, million pull requests and thousands of different repos um, that, that are trained uh, they're used to train codeball. And Codeball extracts features for each PR using um, a certain kind of derivation technique. They don't go into, but it constructs the bigger context in which the PR was filed. Um, for example, how frequently and by whom um, were impacted uh, files modified? The semantics of the diffs um, from uh, the PR in the PR, and of course, whether the PR was actually accepted and merged without further comments. Uh, and so, using all of that metadata to train Codeball to be an assistant uh, as you review your code. I'm very excited for this feature
1: to come out. Yeah, and specifically, it, it basically predicts for a new pull request whether it's likely to be approved or not. So it kind of lets you know where to um, allocate your attention and kind of how carefully to review. So it's, it's sort of like rates the quality of a pull request. And if it's very low, you might want to be concerned. And uh, if not, then... Uh, it's, you know, maybe give it a pass. So yeah, very useful and, and very uh, likely to be integrated into something like GitHub, I'm sure.
0: That's right. And if you are both excited and not excited, that is that is the point, like the exciting part is like, oh, there's AI coming into the review process. The less exciting part is that it's not actually helping with making comments or anything, but it helps you maybe do a little bit of triaging. Uh, and I imagine that will come next. This is. I'm basically expecting us to be labelers in terms of, you know, like, do we actually follow what CodeBala suggests and stuff? Well, we'll Well, I think we've (laughs) talked about
1: our AI to spot (laughs) bugs in code at some point. So, I don't know, these things will come together inevitably and just all coding will be done by AI, it looks like. That's right.
0: And next article is Alimentation Kushchard to deploy over 10,000 AI-powered cash registers at stores. Um, and so this is the convenience store retailer, uh, Alimentation Kushchard, Inc. And they say that they'll deploy more than 10,000 touchless self-serve cash registers within three years over at over 7,000 uh, of their stores. Um, and the system will now use computer vision to recognize items um, at practically any article, uh, any angle, and will register them instantly in a single transaction without the need to scan barcodes at all. So, if you're familiar with your self serve checkout system, we have to scan barcode after and put it in a specific area. This will just look at your whole mess of what you want to buy and use computer vision to uh, determine that. And then and then that's it. So uh, hopefully you'll be able to do everything very, very quickly. Um, they mentioned you know ha- less than a second. It'll take the camera to register everything.
1: So yeah, speeding up processes is what AI is made for. <laughs> it's what it looks like that's right. <laughs> um, and then onto our other stories, uh, we have machine learning shows that more reptile species may be at risk of extinction than previously fought. So there's a new tool that estimates extinction risk uh, for species that maybe are not prioritized enough for conservation. And um, it identifies the possible um, uh, extinction uh, it identifies species from this uh, red list of threatened species, which is published by International Union for Conservation of Nature. And as the uh, title says, it looks like even more reptile species are at risk. So it actually has helped to know where to prioritize. And our last article for the lighting section, we have how AI brought Val Kilmer's Iceman back into Top Gun Maverick. So in the new movie Top Gun Maverick, uh, Val Kilmer, who was in the original, uh, was. In it for a brief kind of set of scenes and he can no longer speak due to a health condition but he did have several lines that he spoke and this was achieved uh, through uh, basically a synthesized AI voice done by a startup we actually covered the story I think a few months ago about how um, Brock worked with the startup Sonantic and they developed basically an AI that mimicked his voice using a lot of old recordings of his and he was really uh, really praised a lot of the technology that they created so it's, it's very cool to see how not only can he use it to um, you know use his speech his voice but now it enabled him to be in this movie and have a line it's, it's really interesting. I mean,
0: uh, Top Gun has gotten and garnered a lot of praise recently. So um, excited to! I'm excited to see it. I haven't seen it yet.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen it. It's it's good. It's a fun movie. So check it out, and you could see some uh, AI behind the scenes. Uh, it's definitely exciting, and we've been talking a lot about these sort of synthesized AI voices and images and things and it's it's really gradually but pretty quickly becoming uh, a tool used in uh, production of movies and things so it's it's pretty pretty interesting
0: And on to our research and advancement section first article is can machine learning deliver one minute brain MRI scans? All right. So this article is about how researchers from Stanford have developed an MR fingerprinting acquisition and reconstruction framework for quantitative and multi-contrast imaging. And that, that was a lot to take in. But it basically is reducing the time for scanning um, uh, to approximately one minute and the time for reconstruction to as little as five minutes. So total of you know, around six minutes. Um, You know, as little as that, Uh, and this is a a big deal because previously um, there were methods that you know could reduce either acquisition, you know, scanning times, or it could reduce the reconstruction time, Um, but not both. It would mean longer for one, one or the other. But having both be very fast uh, means that we can have a turnaround time of you know understanding what's going on with the patient, maybe even booking another. Uh, This isn't covered in the article, but the the implications are that we could then, you know, let's say we scanned you and we could immediately figure out what was wrong with you. We could then have you already still in the hospital or still in some setting to be able to immediately go to that other department um, and figure it out as opposed to schedule another uh, appointment probably a week later or something. Um, So uh, specifically for this finger fingerprinting method. Um, They trained the algorithm using data contributed from 14 healthy volunteers and of the 14 subjects, 10 were used for training and two were used for validation and then two were used to test the model. Um, And uh, I will say that this is not a lot of data, (laughs) um, uh, which uh, I I was a little bit worried about, but, um, you know, this is just a start of what Uh, people are are working
1: on. Yeah, exactly. It's it's definitely kind of early on research. It's not going to be uh, deployed anytime soon, but it is a big deal, uh, right? So I don't know if people are aware MRIs. Typically, you want to have a very long uh, kind of process of just collecting data. So you like lie down and are supposed not to move as your brain is scanned for what, like uh, 30, 30 minutes to an hour just to get a lot of data and then synthesize it into the final result. And here, it's uh, kind of trying to get it so you can acquire kind of under-sampled data that will make scanning a lot faster. But then, as you said, uh, using that uh, smaller amount of data makes it harder to uh, encode the kind of final combined image quickly. So if you can do both, uh, it would be really exciting. and. Right now, um, the traditional techniques take uh, hours, versus here this can take minutes. Um, at present, uh, even though it's faster, it's also not as good. So there's uh, you know definite issues in terms of uh, noise and artifacts and things like that. But um, yeah, it's it's a very promising start, and I do say that their future directions include. Uh, Continued clinical data collection and using semi-supervised methods to improve robustness and, uh, you know, further optimizing things, basically. So it looks like there's a lot of work to be done in this direction, but um, very promising for improving MRI scans and and hopefully making them cheaper and accessible for more people.
0: Absolutely right. Um, I will say that uh, the reason why I also mentioned the data part again, <laughs> is that it was only on healthy people. Um, if we are gonna do reconstruction and the model is only seeing healthy volunteers, that could actually be a, a big problem um, when it sees unhealthy volunteer, uh unhealthy scans, right?
1: So. Yeah, it is true. And our uh, next article here is called AI models insight helps astronomers propose a new theory for observing far off worlds. Uh, so this is an article that provides an overview of a p- new paper titled a ubiquitous unifying deep. So this article will cover okay. This article provides an overview of this uh, new paper titled A Ubiquitous Unifying Degeneracy in Two Body Microlensing Systems. And don't worry, I also don't know what most of those words or phrases mean. Uh, but it's basically a paper, a research paper in astronomy. Astronomers at UC Berkeley uh, kind of were using machine learning to try and analyze a lot of data having to do with gra- gravitational microlensing events. And uh, using machine learning allowed them to actually um, make new discoveries and uh, novel insights. So to give you a brief overview, uh, my gravitational lensing is uh, one way of basically finding out about uh, new planets and uh, stellar objects when kind of things um, Get in front of each other more or less. So light bends around something else and you can uh, tell what has event happened and then uh, from that infer that there are objects uh, in front of it or behind it and discover new things. And um, there's a thing they say, uh, astronomers, uh, they have this thing called a g- degeneracy. <laughs> it's just a term to uh, Imply or to refer to amount of this kind of detection of a spike of uh, brightness when a planetary body is in the line of sight, and um, not digging too much into the science. I don't know myself, but there's uh, it was thought that there are two type of degeneracies, two types of ways this can happen. But when this researcher tried to build a machine order to predict if an event is one or the other, it turned out that a lot of them didn't fit into this categorization. And so by doing that, they looked into it a bit deeper and found out that it's actually not one of the other, not one of these types that has been uh, theorized and used so far, but there's actually a third type of degeneracy that they modeled. And uh, yeah, basically found out that, um, you know, the machine learning model Uh, couldn't uh, categorize into either because there's these other types. And if you look at prior research, they actually found that lots of these events that have been cataloged are in this third category and not the other two. So um, yeah, another example of AI being used in another subfield of science and kind of enabling um, discoveries of patterns and data that humans have not been able to discover by just observing a lot of data and clearly uh, does speak to uh, overall trend of more scientists using AI as a tool uh, to do their work and not necessarily contributing to AI research per se.
0: I think this is a really cool collaboration between AI and humans um, because you know the human did formulate, propose the theory, um, the new theory, um, that was all human as the article notes, uh, but the AI did the systematic calculations, right. And um, together, you know, they were able to really build up this uh, confident new theory. Uh, And and the article does note, you know, just like people had to learn to trust calculators and also then computers, um, we're now learning to trust some AI models um, to output an interesting truth uh, that is clear of preconceptions and assumptions. That's what the article says. I think there, you know, sometimes uh, there's a bit of that that are, you know, are
1: preconceptions
0: and assumptions and past data. Um, but it's really interesting to, to see this collaboration happen in science uh, in, and in this field.
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting note of kind of a lot of science is about producing models right equations that describe types of events and uh, you know ca- that can be simulated to some extent so there's a lot of simulation in climate and in astronomy and ai and machine learning are our ways to build models and to do simulation and prediction so it's it does seem very possible that just like statistics or mathematics calculus etc Scientists will just have AI as part of their toolbox going forward uh, Which is, uh, you know, pretty exciting to see Um, AI is not just for I don't know translation of um, languages or image recognition, but can really apply to all these uh, super varied fields uh, which is uh, very cool
0: And on to our lightning round, Uh, Caltech unit creates AI helping drones to withstand violent winds. So this is Caltech researchers are actually creating a drone that can react to extreme wind like tornadoes or hurricanes um, using AI to adapt that drone. Um, And they're calling it neural fly because it's using deep learning um, to quickly respond to those changing wind conditions. Next article is UC Berkeley's automated crossword solver achieves 99.9% letter accuracy, wins top tournament. Uh, so this is in a new paper, automated crossword solving. Um, researchers from UC Berkeley and Matthew Ginsberg LLC uh, present the Berkeley Crossword Solver (BCS), um, and it is a state-of-the-art system that's end-to-end for automatically solving challenging crossword puzzles and it actually got first place in the american crossword puzzle tournament Um, you know this builds off of so much of deep mind stuff it's almost it's almost cute in a sense but you know it is it is cool to see um ai continue to push push these boundaries
1: yeah it's really fun and uh you know crossword puzzles are a pretty challenging problem because you have to know about the world and you know there's all these hints and you have to follow the hints to um, it's a lot of trivia, but it's also a lot of sort of inference. So, and you also have to take into account the constraints of sort of the letter quantities. So it's it's pretty cool research and quite successful. So you know, we first we solved go, now we're solving crosswords apparently. <laughs> and next we have ten point five army. Next, we have a 10.5 million army contract to CMU lab will expand use of AI in predictive maintenance. So the School of Computer Science uh, has the Auton lab and it got this 10.5 million grant from the US Army to lead a big effort to extend AI in predictive maintenance where predictive maintenance is about predicting when equipment, uh, machines, things like fighter jets, will require maintenance when things break down when uh, some v- various issues uh, pop up things like that and it's it's very hard to spot these things for humans but ai can then analyze data and provide early warnings uh, so clearly very useful and makes sense that there's so much fun there for this And last up, we have China's AI defense can reportedly predict the course of hypersonic missiles. Uh, So researchers at the Air Force Early Warning Academy in China have claimed to develop an AI-based technology that can predict the course of hypersonic missiles even as they approach their target at five times the speed of sound. So hypersonic missiles are pretty state-of-the-art weapons and are really hard to deal with. And so now there's a system that can potentially predict the so-called kill trajectory and initiate initiate a counter-response. And they actually published a paper regarding the systems in the Journal of Astronics. So um, I guess this could be leveraged by other countries maybe.
0: And on to our next section of Society and Ethics. First article is U.S. robot orders surge 40% as labor shortages, inflation persist. And so this article is talking about how both inflation and the tight labor market are becoming a win-win for robots. Um, and this has shown that really, really lots of data in this article. So um, 40% year over year, there have been increases of orders for workplace robots in the US. Um, And this is the first quarter of 2022. Uh, Companies are just leveraging automation much, much more. Uh, And this is um, actually uh, mostly actually of companies, not just large companies, but also smaller and medium sized companies um, are deploying robots. And that's really exciting. I haven't actually seen that as much before. Um, And just for some stats, uh, approximately $544 million worth of robots, 9,000 robots that make up that were sold in the U.S. during the first quarter, compared to more than 6,400 robots that were worth 346 million sold during the same period just a year ago. So that, that is that 40% um, year over year. And uh, this is according to A3, the Association for Advancing Automation, Um, And specifically, a lot of these orders surged a lot in the metals industry, um, mostly there, um, followed by the plastics and rubber industry, followed by semiconductor, electronics and photonics, um, and followed by food and consumer goods industry. Uh, And. All right. So those are just the numbers of how how much robotics is really getting into the workplace um, and. Automation is being bought everywhere uh, to account for the labor shortage. Uh, but at the same time, we are seeing, you know, inflation and inflation um, means that it's uh, reduced workers wage gains. Um, and that is with a real average hourly earning falling 2.6 percent on an annual basis in April. Um, and, you know, this causes a really big shift um, predicting that the division of labor between humans and machines will be changing, with both many jobs uh, being reduced as well as many new jobs opening. But that'll, you know, very much depend on how robotics shifts uh, where robots are automating things and where humans will be needed.
1: Yeah. So this is a pretty impressive report, right? I mean, that's a pretty big jump, forty uh, percent, and. Um, There's some other interesting details here. So for instance, that uh, a lot of this increase uh, came from non-automotive customers, so not car manufacturers, which typically do the most automation. And um, yeah, it's rising in all sorts of industries and it's also rising in companies of all sizes. So increasingly small and medium-sized companies, partially because it's uh, more feasible than ever before. Robots are getting cheaper there's new hardware and software, and more user friendly ways to install it. So it's getting easier and easier. Um, we don't know from the support how many of these are actually AI powered robots. A lot of them could be um, these more traditional, sort of um, programmed robots where they don't do any sort of sensing or uh, AI type uh, response to the environment. They just are pre-programmed to do motion, but there are many companies working on um, AI powered robotics for warehouses and automation right now. So it's definitely par- probably part of a trend that's powering this and probably going to keep the trend going. Uh, so possibly concerning, but also Possibly just uh, inevitable. (laughs) So hopefully uh, as this happens, there's going to be um, kind of a successful shift in the labor market towards things that cannot be automated robotics as uh, has happened in the past with different kind of categories and industries uh, displacing each other over time.
0: I think this was actually um, somewhat surprising in that people definitely thought, you know, robotics would come in during the pandemic. And it was kind of slow for robotics (laughs) to come in because a lot of the companies weren't actually ready to, you know, deploy them at at scale, both from, you know, possible, you know, they weren't ready for that. And also there were huge supply chain issues. Um, And the fact that we're seeing this growth not decline, even though the pandemic is very much in um, in decline. Uh, it, it's very interesting um, to see that this this trend did get kicked off in the pandemic, or at least it continues to rise. So excited to see where this
1: goes. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's worth noting that it's pretty non-trivial to, cost, uh, to modify your manufacturing pipeline and add robotics in it. So during the pandemic, actually humans were very valuable for their flexibility and ability to sort of adapt new COVID protocols, but now that things are a little more stable, maybe that's why it's uh, speeding up. And and maybe that's why a lot of companies started to plan for this during COVID when it um, obviously would not have been an issue for robots to work during a pandemic, uh, unlike people. And uh, our next story is quite an interesting one. It's titled, A Face Search Engine Anyone Can Use Is Alarmingly Accurate, from the New York Times. It covers a website called PimEyes that allows you to input uh, an image of a person's face, and it uh, gives you a bunch of other images from the web of that person. That uh, the person may or may not know about, and you can do this to any person yourself. Uh, so in theory, you're supposed to only do this for yourself or people from whom you get consent. But in practice, you can do this for anybody. And um, yeah, it's it's you know kind of a clear view AI for anybody in a sense, right? Uh, it doesn't include data from uh, social uh, media websites, so it is limited in terms of where it detects data, but uh, still, it is obviously a cause of a lot of concern. This New York Times uh, article has some interesting examples of how they used it for uh, their journalists. And they have some interesting examples of how PMIs found photos of every person. And in many cases, photos that the journalists have never seen uh, or or not expecting to see. So, for instance, uh, one tech reporter um, was spotted in an awkward crush of fans at Coachella. Then a foreign correspondent appeared in countless wedding photos and in uh, like a Greek airport, apparently. Um, there was an image of a rock band and, yeah, a lot of these sorts of things. So basically anything that can be indexed from the web, this provides an. There's a lot of details here on how this is problematic. And um, yeah, you can pay for 30 bucks a month. You can do like 25 searches for different people. So uh, quite the website.
0: And surprise, surprise, there is actually an unpaid version you can play with. Uh, So we actually uploaded pictures of ourselves (laughs) to see how well it could do. Um, And for mine, um, you know, in the beginning, it was definitely me. And I actually tried two different photos that look quite different one of of me in the Zoom call and one of a typical profile pic. Uh, It got me both times. So, um, and it found a lot of the pictures of me on the Internet, um, probably all of them. I actually don't know, um, but none of them were super surprising of myself. Uh, But then, you know, as you keep scrolling down, then you get pictures of other people. (laughs) Um, um, And it's funny because actually one distinct difference I noticed was between the two images I uploaded when I got photos of other people, one of them, you know, started pulling pictures of people who looked, you know, relatively, you know, who were adults and older and the other (laughs) Uh, the other one actually probably thought I was like 10 years old or something. Um, <laughs> like, like uh, I'm not sure. It, uh, when I look at that photo of me, I don't think that I look like I'm 10. So that's interesting. Um, maybe there's some like age classification going on. Uh, I don't, I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's, what about yours? It's Alex? pretty weird. Yeah. I, I have a similar kind of uh, experience where I put up a fairly, you know, uh, good quality image of myself in a forest uh, forest background. I was wearing glasses and had a bit of a scruffy neck, and it did pull up as a top images, so it presents you a kind of ranked feed. It presented a lot of images of myself that I knew were around, uh, so I wasn't surprised. A lot of the stuff that I use as my profile images. There were a couple images that I didn't know were posted anywhere. Uh, cool <laughs> a couple of them yeah n- nothing too uh, racy like there was a graduation photo and some i don't know random photo of me um taking elsewhere but it was not that many it was maybe like 10 photos a lot of them were replicas of each other and after that there were uh, Dozens and dozens of photos of other random white guys with glasses and scruffy necks. (laughs) Many of them did not look very similar, uh, but had kind of generally the same vibe. So, um, yeah, it's it it does work and it does show you these results and um, obviously, you know, For our case, it wasn't necessarily harmful and no data we don't want people to see has surfaced, but um, the article does have some pretty negative uh, kind of aspects it covers. So for instance, uh, it has an example user uh, who is a tech executive who apparently says he uses PMIs regularly to identify people who harass him on Twitter to use their real photos uh, to get their names when it's not displayed. Another person who asked to be anonymous said he used the tool to find the real identities of actresses from porn films and to search for explicit photos of his Facebook friends, which is obviously pretty creepy and borderline. like, all, both of these are kind of almost uh, enabling uh, stalking and harassment. And even worse, uh, the article uh, has a story of a computer engineer who tried it out and actually found explicit images of herself that she didn't know were on the internet. And uh, actually, it was non-trivial to get PMIs to remove them from the service. So if anyone just used her image, they could have found it as well. And... You know, they actually want you to pay for a premium protect plan to be able to, um, you know, remove certain images. So clearly, this is a pretty predatory model. And there are some ways to get around this, but uh, really, only by subscribing can you uh, ensure that your data stays kind of clean. So a lot of red flags with this company and the article goes into its owner and some counter arguments and things like that. But um, yeah, really surprising that, I guess I haven't heard of this before and um, pretty obvious that this is a source of controversy and, and probably not a thing we want to exist in this form. Just another kind of demonstration that maybe regulation is necessary. That's right. That's right. And
0: specifically, it also mentions that for women, um, the incorrect photos, you know, were came from porn sites. Uh, and I can affirm that if you scroll far enough, it will find random photos of Asian women on porn sites for mine. So that's not great. Um,
1: yeah, and um, it's it's kind of ambiguous in terms of regulation because they don't store anything. They just index the web and search for similarity between photos. It's kind of like Google image search, but for faces. So it's not clear if they can be fined the same way as Clearview AI, who builds uh, their own database that they scraped from social media. But um, yeah, we'll have to see. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure we'll be hearing more about this as we have been hearing a lot about Clearview AI over the years.
0: And on to our lightning round: Google bans deepfake generating AI from Colab. So our Colab is um, a collaborative kind of hosted Python notebook by Google, uh, where you can run um, their GPU or TPU in the back. Uh, and recently they found a few organizations um, uh, or found a few organizations found that Google will actually no longer allow deep fake generating AI on CoLab. Um, and this is not a wholesale ban, but appears to be based on a blacklist for certain types of code. And um, this means that DeepFaceLab can no longer be used. Uh, uh, but, you know, there are other popular tools out there that are not hosted by CoLab, perhaps, um, or, or are um, like FaceSwap they and they're still fully operational. But it's just people have found that, yeah, Google is starting to, to ban this type of um, essentially open source and open running and using of their GPUs for free oftentimes to create deep picks. And the next article is sold to create disaster response platform using AI. Uh, This is Seoul, Korea. The Seoul Metropolitan government uh, announced plans to use AI and big data to build a digital platform to support on-site response in disaster scenarios. Um, So the Seoul government said it'll initially uh, try to create this, quote, Seoul uh, 119 big data center to manage 119 fire and disaster dispatch locations and create a 3D map of disaster-prone facilities for firefighters to use when rescuing lives. um, So starting with fire disaster.
1: Mm. And uh, speaking of deepfakes, uh, there's a pretty surprising story here that Dutch police created a deepfake video of a murdered boy in hopes of new leads. So uh, Dutch police have created a video Basically, starring what looks like this murdered uh, boy who was a teenager uh, who was murdered uh, almost two decades ago. And um, the uh, video was a bit of an ad. It kind of asked the public to come forth and provide any tips. And they did get dozens of leads after using it. Uh, It kind of was like a touching ad kind of thing. So, um, definitely. uh, sort of unexpected use case, but another demonstration of using deep fakes for kind of speaking to the public as we've seen with politicians and some ads. And lastly, we have a story, Oregon dropping AI tool used in child abuse cases. So we covered a story maybe a few weeks ago of Oregon having an algorithm that was used to kind of evaluate child abuse cases to essentially decide whether to take uh, kids away from possibly abusive families. And following some outcry that uh, happened, they are now saying stop using the algorithm and will opt instead to use a new process that will lead to better and more racially equitable decisions. Uh, So, quite the development and quite a rapid development following uh, this really detailed article, possibly that uh, led to this outcome, which is interesting.
0: And onto our last section, fun and neat, uh, AI versus corporate logos. Uh, And this is from AI Weirdness, the blog um, that you know, uh, the author used Dolly to generate uh, different logos and had some comments on them. So the first is uh, she generated a local Waffle House was the input. And it had all of these, you know, funny Waffle House signs or um, Waffle House, you know, on a waffle in terms of the logo. Um, uh, or she generated Pizza Hut. And. Um, and uh, one thing that was consistently wrong from Dolly is, and this is not surprising, it's the spelling. Spelling is not Dolly's um, strongest point, uh, but it does get at the gist of, of these words. And so, you know, there's, there's definitely a little bit of uh, the actual logo in there, perhaps in the training set, but there's also, you know, a breakdown of, of these words. So a hut is shown for Pizza Hut, which I know is already in the logo. Um, but it's funny because Applebees actually, Dolly decided that it'd be better if it actually contained bees in it. Um, uh, <laughs> the uh, Snickers logo also sometimes added sneakers as well, probably because a missmelling of sneakers is sneakers. <laughs> um, and that, w- that, in- that, uh, that was somehow embedded uh, in the model there, which you know we've seen um, is pro- probably be true across large amounts of data. Um, and, uh, it also decided that the Burger King logo definitely needs a crown on the burger. I <laughs> hope it's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, this is pretty delightful. When I saw this on Twitter, I really got a good chuckle. Uh, as you said, we've already, we already know that Dolly has this property. Whenever it generates text, it generates plausible looking, uh, gibberish, uh, pretty much always. And it's kind of particularly funny in these cases because it generates, very plausible looking logos and signs that actually match the style and overall character of the real logos. If you look at Waffle House, you know, it has the right color scheme, Pizza Hut, right color scheme. But then the spelling can often be pretty hilarious. I especially liked the ones that it generated for uh, Dunkin' Donuts. It has things like, uh, it has like Donk Dinik. Don't duns, uh don Uh Donkins Dukin <laughs> Donium Donus. It's just like everything that is not even close, but it's kind of like looks similar. And for Waffle House it has things like waffle hose, uh waffle wool, waffle woffy, a really kind of pretty amusing, you know, misspellings, sort of like almost babyish gibberish that uh, is very um, kind of amusing juxtaposed with these very realistic depictions of their logos and things like that. So another really fun blog post from AI weirdness on the sort of silly and funny things that AI can do. Do you have any favorites from uh, all these AI-generated images in terms of the most amusing ones? Sharon?
0: I really like the Snickers one because I feel like the other ones I I kind of know because I played with Dolly and I I may have done some uh, one or two similar uh, types of queries, but for Snickers and adding sneakers in just made me really laugh <laughs> um, because, uh, yeah, that misspelling, it should be able to, it does handle that and it does take that into account. It's just funny to see it this way because usually it's me misspelling it and then it figuring out what I actually meant. But in this case, it did it the opposite way of like, oh, I know this wasn't a misspelling, but you thought it was a misspelling and, and here we are.
1: Yeah. Mm yeah yeah I didn't know about the applebees one, and that is also pretty amusing of literally adding bees uh to the apple <laughs> um yeah and the sneakers one, as you said is is quite amusing. there are a lot of like maybe more than half of them have some form of sneaker, so right, but it also gets the right sort of look uh roughly of the candy bar in some cases, so it's it's interesting. And onto our last story, which actually isn't an article, it's a YouTube video, which we do sometimes. And this YouTube video is titled I Asked AI to Make a Music Video. The results are trippy. So you basically know what the uh, video is from the title. It's a music video generated by AI. And just to give a bit of description, It's likewise made by something like uh, DALI, not exactly that model, but something similar. And it is this, uh, yeah, pretty trippy sort of um, floating um, depiction of AI looking images that sort of get filled in as you go, roughly uh, related to the lyrics. And it's very colorful. Uh, a lot of sort of uh, skies and um, kind of nature and and very multicolored. So uh, definitely a fun video to watch. And it already has um, more than a million views. So I guess a lot of people are into it.
0: Oh, and we've seen something like this before. And this one is specifically it's using a diffusion model. Um, and yeah, it seems it's it's pretty cool. Uh, and, uh, it, unlike the, you know, what we were just talking about, Dolly, um, this specific model actually can produce text properly. So you will see in it, um, lyrics being shown uh, visually. And so, uh, you know, it's not, it's not like every model has trouble with text. Um, so just know that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, a. Uh... On song, you know, I actually enjoyed this music video. It's quite pleasant. I will say we did cover another AI-generated music video a few months back, I think, That's or right. maybe, yeah, and uh, that was a really interesting story of uh, the musician's partner made it for them. And I do think in that case, um, the lyrics were maybe less abstract. And so here, it's really not too clear how the lyrics relate to what is being shown, to me at least. And I think I, um, and it was very different in terms of how it was generated and the appearance from that prior music video to this one. So it's an interesting comparison. And um, to be clear here, it wasn't just AI. There was quite a bit of manual work uh, in terms of animation and things like that. But uh, still, yeah, really neat music video and uh, another example of using AI for music videos, which may become kind of common in the future, it looks like.
0: More and more a thing. I think, you know, what would be necessary for me to make a mi- music video? It would be like just text to the entire music video. <laughs> I yeah. think that might help. So, well, I'm wait a here couple
1: here. years I, and we'll, we'll be here. there.
0: I'm just here waiting. You know, I have... Um,
1: I'm reading, there's going to be a paper on this. There's going to be a paper, uh, music song to music video. And it's, I'm I'm sure this is going to be published soon if it hasn't been yet. Like give it a year or two and we'll have a paper and an open source model that does this. Yes, very excited for that
0: moment. Until then, I will listen to other people's great work.
1: (laughs) Indeed, indeed. And with that, we are done with our 100th edition of Last Week in AI. Ooh, Exciting. You. Uh, let's, let's hope we keep going uh, for you know years to come. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. As we keep saying, you can find all these articles and more at lastweekin.ai. As always, we'd appreciate if you submit a review or even just tweet at us or email us, whatever. Just any sort of, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, message from listeners is really fun because it's, it's a weird experience to record and, you know, hear yourself speaking for half an hour every week. Uh, and it's, it's really fun when you realize that people do listen. And
0: we just so. want to know you exist. We really
1: do. (laughs) Yeah. So feel free to do that. But uh, you know, even if you don't, thanks for listening and be sure to keep tuning in.
0: That's right. Woo! Yeah.